Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of The Taking Control of Your Diabetes podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Jeremy Pettis, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, Dr. Steve Edelman. And this is no regular podcast. Why is it's that, a special Steve? podcast because this is our one-year anniversary after starting. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you guys have been listening, we really appreciate your support. This is something that we really just kind of... Uh, cooked up in our heads just a little over a year ago, completely homegrown, non-sponsored. Um, so we really appreciate it. If you do listen, you do enjoy it, you want us to keep doing it, please share it, You know, follow us. Um, and if you have it in you to donate, that goes a long way to make sure we can keep doing this content. So let's jump into today's episode. So what is it about? Well, it's weight loss in type 1 diabetes. So we talk about weight all the time, especially with type 2 diabetes or in people without diabetes. And people with type 1, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but it is a very common problem. So when we talk about how common it is, what do you say, Steve? Well, you know what? Some of the best data came from our publication, mm -hmm. where we looked at a large administrative claims database, and it showed that two-thirds of people with type 1 diabetes are overweight. And it's important to define what that is, which we will. Yeah, so two out of three people with type 1 diabetes are either overweight or obese. So that's obviously the majority of people with type 1. And I think, again, a lot of providers and a lot of people still think of type 1s as, oh, they're kids, you know, they're diagnosed when they're four or five, they're skinny, they're running around, no problem. But guess what? Us people living with type 1, we grow up, we you know get older, and we can gain weight just like anybody else. And I think it's actually easier for people with type 1 diabetes to gain weight compared to somebody without diabetes. Well, there's a lot of reasons, and we should go through them quickly. But the general comment is when you get older, I don't care if you have diabetes or not, male, female, people gain weight as they get older. Absolutely. And uh, you know the other thing, too, is... I think you can talk about the fact that insulin causes weight gain, especially excess insulin. Yeah. And now you're one of the experts in this area, so give us a little science course on this. Yeah, so, you know, real quick that, you know, normally when insulin is released, it comes out of the pancreas, it goes right into the bloodstream, goes into the liver, um, and it's really efficient. It goes to where it needs to be quickly. And when we have to inject it subcutaneously with syringes or pumps or whatever, it gets injected into the fat and you have to inject a, a much higher dose than you would need if you still had a kind of a normally functioning pancreas. So if you just measure insulin levels in somebody with type 1 diabetes uh, versus somebody without, usually somebody with type 1 diabetes is walking around with an insulin concentration that's two to three times uh, what they're kind of weight-matched uh, control would be. So we, we, we have these high concentrations of insulin that can predispose people to put on weight, especially kind of in the, 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 the fat area. You know, in the type 2 literature, there's, there's a corollary that the weight is directly related to the level of insulin. And the people with type 2, even worse than people with type 1. Yeah. And then the other thing is, of course, well, guess guess what happens if you take too much insulin? Your blood sugars go low. So there's times that you're eating when you don't want to. I mean, how many times have you been up at 2 a.m. stuffing your face, especially, you know, a time that maybe you're trying to lose weight, and then all of a sudden at 2 a.m. I'm eating cheese and peanut butter. And I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but it happens a lot. And it can really drive you nuts when you're trying to be healthy, but your blood sugar's low. It is an undeniable unresistible urge to eat. Your body's telling you that you're starving, so you can just really pack away 1,000, 2,000 calories in you know minutes. In clinic yesterday, where you were at as well, seeing patients, I got low. Besides being embarrassed in front of my diabetic patient, I ate like a 
Hershey's chocolate bar, two Gushers, these leftover Halloween candies of Snickers bars. And then, of course, I did the usual rebound, but I probably consumed five, 600 calories just like that. And you know what you like that happens all the time. And you always tell yourself, you know what? I need it. You know, my blood sugar is just going to level out at 80. I'm going to be good. But you always just, you know, rebound high. And by the way, that was a fun day yesterday. Steve and I, if you're just tuning in, are both endocrinologists, University of California, San Diego. And they don't let us do clinic together because we mess around too much and we got banned. So now they, <laughs> we alternate Tuesdays of when we can be together. But there was a little bit of a scheduling snafu, so we actually got to be in clinic together. It was, was so fun. much fun. It yeah. really was. Well, talk about these hormones that most folks don't know much about. They most people don't have a clue what amylin is, mm-hmm. and they they all hear glucagon as a rescue kit when they get too low. Yeah, so you know when we're kind of on this theme of of why type ones might be more susceptible to weight gain. Well, yeah, we talked about insulin. We talked about going low, eating when you don't want to, and there there actually might be some hormonal reasons for that too. So the beta cell makes insulin. We know that. But it also makes this other hormone called amylin, which not many people know about. And it's a hormone that's that's usually released with insulin in people without diabetes. And it has a lot of effects, but one of the effects is it actually promotes satiety, meaning that when you eat, um, it's released to kind of tell you, hey, you're eating and promote the feeling of, of being full. And people with type 1 diabetes that don't have that hormone, it might make sense, another reason that we might be prone to, to weight gain. Well, the very first drug approved for people with type 1 diabetes after insulin was a medication called Simlin, which was an amylin analog. Right. And it was marketed. You had to take it uh, three different times a day because you couldn't mix it with insulin, with meals. And it really was effective at blunting the post-meal blood sugar, but it never really made it on the market for lots of reasons. And it was hard to take. You couldn't mix it. But I think it's going to have a comeback one of these days when they mix it with fast-acting insulin in one formulation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll go through medications at the end, but absolutely, Simlin's been kind of a poster child of that. You can use medications and actually to, to address hormone deficiencies. So the last area of why it might be more difficult, why us poor type 1s can put on the pounds is, well, exercise can be difficult. Exercise is already kind of hard enough for people to get motivated about, you know, make the time to find, you know, something that you enjoy. But if you have diabetes, you know, you can go low during um, exercise. You can go high after. Um, Exercise is obviously good overall for your health and your overall blood sugar control. But the actual act of exercise can just wreak havoc on your your blood sugar sometimes. Yeah. And some people just negate it, especially if there's any reason why they might get low during Mm -hmm. exercise. And of course, as you get older, you get knee pains, you get back pains. And, you know, it's just, it's harder to exercise as you get older. So I think the data that uh, we both published, and you did most of the work, thank you on that, uh, was really shocking to a lot of people that type 1 diabetics are not all skinny minis. Yeah. And, you know, it is helpful to know these reasons. Of course, it doesn't get you off the hook completely. Like, you know, woe is me, blame my type 1 diabetes. We'll get to what you can do about it. But it's just to let people know it's A, it's very common. B, there's some reasons why it might make it even more difficult when you have type 1. So let's talk about what it technically means to be overweight or obese because these actually have um, very specific definitions. So we use them kind of in the lay terms, oh, I'm overweight, Um you know, that might mean different things to different people, but medically these things actually have strict definitions. Yeah, and our government puts out, you know, these strict uh, guidelines. So they typically look at BMI, body mass index. It's a formula, takes into account your height 
and your weight. And there's little charts online, and there's a place you can figure out your BMI online where you just, all you have to do is plug in your weight in pounds and your height in inches, and it'll give you a number. Mm-hmm. And let's go through those categories. Yeah, so just for, just like you said, just Google BMI calculator, and sometimes it'll def- default to kilograms and like centimeters because that's what like it was originally, that's the units it used. But you can find one that's for pounds and feet and inches, and it'll spit out a number, and here's what they mean. So anything less than 25 uh, is what we would call a normal body weight. And then between 25 and 30 is a technical definition of overweight. And above 30 puts you into the obese category. And then there's actually either further classifications of, of degrees of obesity, 35 to 40 and over 40, et cetera. But basically 25 to 30, overweight, over 30, obese. What's your BMI? Um, I don't know. I have to put it in. So it's it's usually, I'd probably be like in the overweight category. Yeah, um, slightly. Know, I like to think because I'm, you know, hugely muscular, um, but it's it's probably not the case. Well, you know, if you look at me, I know it's hard to take your eyes off me, but um, <laughs> my BMI hovers around 25, 26. Yeah. So, um, and, but there's one caveat that I think we should talk about. If you're very muscular, right. like myself, mm-hmm. that can give the BMI uh, a falsely elevated right. number. And I, I still remember LaDamian Tomlinson running back for the San Diego Chargers. His BMI was like over 30 yeah. and he was cut. Right. And was, I have, you know, I was thinking too, I was actually trying to Google like what's the rocks BMI, but he would definitely be in the <laughs> obese category. He's super, super, you know, muscular. So there are times it doesn't fit. If you're very, very muscular, it can be, it can overestimate it. On the other side, if you're uh, elderly, very thin, very frail, it can underestimate it because yep. you lose a lot of body mass or body uh, uh, muscle. But for the kind of, let's call it just typical, you know, ages 20 to 70, it does a pretty darn good job of estimating where, you know, you should be and what you are. And, you know, the poor man's way of judging, take off your clothes, look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And he, <laughs> you could tell, yeah. you know, if your gut's hanging out or whatever. And it's, you know what, it just happens to all of us as we get older. And I think there's a lot of reasons why we should care. Yeah. So... The medical reasons for why we care, I think people know. The more you know, weight you put on, if you don't have diabetes, obviously that puts you at higher risk for type 2, but we're really talking about type 1. But you have higher risk of cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, uh, kind of abnormal cholesterol profiles. But for me, it really comes down to um, you know, how comfortable people feel. And I don't think that's vanity. You know, it's just, hey, look, I want to feel comfortable in my own skin, in the jeans I'm wearing, to have, you know, kind of confidence, these kinds of things. It's, it can be hugely important and hugely impactful when people lose weight of just their, their kind of overall approach to, the, to life, really. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing, there's not a, anything worse feeling than you put on a nice pair of jeans that you bought and they're too tight. You can't button them up. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, that bugs the heck out of me. And then I say, I'm not going to eat a damn thing for three days. And that doesn't work. Yeah. Because usually three hours later, I'm starving. But I think the other thing to mention is, you know, when you get heavy, uh, you develop insulin resistance, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a word we use for people with type 2 diabetes. That's not good because there's cardiovascular risks along with that. And it increases your insulin requirements, which then you sort of start on that catch 22 of increased peripheral levels. And so it's just not good. And it is a hard thing. Yeah. We, we, we're not going to sit up here and say weight loss is easy yeah. or even preventing weight gain is easy. And I think we should say that at the top that both you and I, I would say, struggle with our weight and in, in that we're always very, very mindful of it. 
Um, it's something that we are constantly working on, talking about different exercises, approaches, or intermittently, you're like you said, you're like, I'm just not going to eat, or I'm going to go really low carb, because it's so easy to gain weight that it's something that we're, we're constantly kind of struggling with. And you have been in this, I wouldn't call it competition, but your friend Bill Polonsky, <laughs> you guys literally weigh yourself every single day, every, every single day. day. And text each other what your yep. your weight is, and you've been doing this for like five or six years now. <laughs> it's crazy. And we did it this morning, and he'll say little things like, "Hey, you're doing great," and then he'll say, "I'm feeling like a fat pig," and uh, every single day, except when we're, one of us is tra- are traveling. Now, I want to say that obesity runs in my family, and I don't know if other people can relate to this, but I gained three pounds in one day over the Super Bowl. And yeah, I ate a lot of salty stuff. That's always my excuse. Tons of chips, apps, you know, barbecue ribs. How do you gain three pounds in one day? Well, I think you just told us. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the next day I was really good and I lost two of those three pounds. But I, I fluctuate a lot. Yeah. Do you do that? I, I mean, do you weigh yourself knows? every day? I don't. Ah. You know, I, I'll do it probably a couple times a week. And I will say I have one of these scales though. Um, that syncs with your phone automatically because it's it's actually pretty easy to forget kind of where you've been. You're right. And so being able to just to have that data of, oh gosh, like, you know, this was my weight today and actually this is where I was six months ago. Maybe I'm the same, maybe I'm high, maybe I'm low, but um, recording it is actually extremely helpful. Well, I've heard weight experts say, you know, you have to weigh yourself as often as it's the information is good for you. Yeah. And every day, because there are fluctuations, you don't want to get bummed out because you're, two pounds higher because you had ramen one night. You might do it twice a week or once a week. You have one of those cordial uh, weight scales. The ones that tells you like your fat percent. No, no, it it does that, but it also is a scale and it goes right to your phone. Yeah, exactly. And if you are going to do it, they say wake up in the morning after you, you know, defecate or avoid or whatever. Oh, please tell us more. (laughs) (laughs) To be consistent. Jeremy. So you wake up. Could I could I business. share that data? Could you share that with me? Like just like the Dexcom app. Maybe I'll do a pre and post <laughs> pre and post poop weight. How about <laughs> upper alerts and lower alerts? <laughs> and, and then by and, doing the math, I can tell you how much my poop weighs. Oh please! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to what to do about it. All right. So it's a problem. It's common. We have these the cards stacked against us. So what do we do about it? So let's um, start with you know diet and exercise. So. Of course, we have to talk about diet and exercise, but we're going to talk about it specific to type 1 diabetes. So when it comes to a diet, there's no silver bullet. There really is no such thing as a quote-unquote diabetes diet. Um, And when it comes to weight loss, it's all about um, eating less, but as you always say, within your kind of social, your ethnic um, uh, preferences, you know, when people go, like, you know, Asian descent, they go see a dietitian, they say no more rice. I mean, that's not okay. You have to work within people, what they've been eating kind of all their life. An important thing for everybody with type 1 diabetes to know is that all diets are available to them. Um, We did a whole podcast on intermittent fasting, for example. If you have type 1 diabetes, you can fast. I think when people were diagnosed 20, 30 years ago and was NPH and things, you had to eat at certain times. And that is that is perpetuated. People say, oh, you have diabetes. You have to have a bedtime snack. Or you have to eat lunch. No, you can fast just like anybody else can. Well, we have much better basal insulins now. Mm-hmm. In the olden days, we didn't. You know, we have 2 we have Traceba, and we have insulin pumps that give a, a low-level insulin. In fact, my best control is when I am fasting. Mm-hmm. And I should also say that, um, you know, there's lots of 
diets out there. We intermittent fasting, as you mentioned, the Mediterranean, you know, the keto diet. There's so many diets. And I read this fantastic article on National Geographic, and it turns out that many diets work, but each diet is only good for a particular individual. You got to find something that you could live with. I'm someone that doesn't eat breakfast. So I typically have a cup of coffee and I don't eat till 12, one o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I, I might go 14, 15, 16 hours if I have an early dinner without eating anything. And then as if you listen to the podcast with a uh, Pritika, uh, Dr. Ekanayaka, it's kind of a good way to go because it's not restricted what you eat. Yeah. Cause there's restricted diets. It's very different than just saying, I'm just going to do better and eat less. Well, who can do that? But if you say, I'm not going to eat till noon, that becomes something that sometimes people can do. I should say my favorite, one of my favorite patients told me, looked me in the straight in the eye, Rita, she said, I don't like the first three letters in diet. <laughs> and I said, that was pretty nif- That was pretty well, cute. And then the other thing that a lot of type ones gravitate to is lower carb. And it, for me, I definitely eat low carb and it's to the point that I wouldn't even call it a diet. It's more like once you do it for so long, it becomes like a lifestyle and then it becomes easier to adhere to. Oh, it makes managing the diabetes so much easier. Because you know what? I'm bad at counting carbs. I'll be the first to tell you, but I, I can tell you what a carb is and then I can avoid it. So it's easier for me to just kind of cut down on the carbs and to be like, oh, that's 43 grams of carbs. I have no idea. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know anybody that's good at counting carbs, Yeah, but you're right. You know, we know what we eat and we know what carbs are. Bread, rice, pasta, cake, cookies, donuts. I mean, yeah, if you don't know what a carb is, you're, you're in big trouble. So, all right, when it comes to weight loss, the uh, probably one of the most important things is is realistic goals. And what happens a lot is that people will be like, oh, I got a wedding in a month. I want to lose 40 pounds. Well, guess what? It's not going to happen. You're setting yourself up for failure. So a realistic goal is somewhere between half a pound and one pound per week. So if you want to lose 10 pounds, that could take 10, 20 weeks, you know, so give yourself that amount of time. Um, and that's important to know. Yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of other weight loss experts say one pound a week is a lot. It is a lot. I mean, it's a lot and you have to figure out what you can be consistent at. You know, yeah, I could fast for two days and lose a bunch of water weight and lose four or five pounds. It comes right back. Mm-hmm. And uh, even point five pounds a week is pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and think about it. You know, that's two pounds a month. So in three months, that's six pounds. And if you can, if that, if those, if those are six pounds that you can keep off, yeah. that's a total that's a win. Big deal. Yeah. yeah. So again, so you can kind of march that out. Okay, six months. I want to lose this amount of weight. That can be really helpful. I should mention some of these apps. I'm not a big app person for these type of things, but there are these diet apps and I'm blanking on the name now, but you put in what your goal is Mm -hmm. and you sort of put what you eat. It tells you how many calories per day. And some people use those successfully to keep them on track, motivate them. I've downloaded about 17 of them and I use them all for two days and then stop. I don't know. It's just for me, it's hard to enter what I'm eating, like food diary and stuff. It's just hard. It's, but for some people, it works really well, especially yeah, it, if they can adhere to it. Just the, like they always tell you food diary, simply writing down what you're eating um, is very, very effective. Behavior modification. Yeah. yeah. And once again, it's really important for me to say again that there's no one diet for everybody. Yeah. That's All right. important. So diet solved. Moving on to um, the next thing, exercise. So like a diet, there's no kind of like silver bullet, but everybody should exercise. 
our official recommendations for people with diabetes are 30 minutes a day, five days a week of something that gets your heart rate elevated. That could be walking, that could be, you know, jogging, whatever, something that gets your heart rate up. But the key that I think you and I always talk about is finding something that you enjoy. I mean, if you say, I'm just going to start running, you've never run in your life. I, you know, I hate running. Um, I used to like it, but now like my feet hurt, things like that. So now I cycle, Peloton, try other things um, to engage me. And even then, like I do like cycling, but it still takes motivation for me to get on the bike and things like that. I wish I was one of those people that just couldn't, you know, breathe without exercise, but you got to find something you like. Yeah, that's so true. And and I'm like you, Jeremy, I, I have a Peloton. I ride outside with Bill um, and I work out at the YMCA, do some, you know, weight stuff. And even though I like those, I have to really motivate myself. Mm -hmm. The only thing I really don't have to motivate myself for is to go outside and ride. Yeah. And that's, you know, you you go with a friend, you got scenery, but you can't just do that all the time. You know, it's just not enough time and not enough daylight. And I think that's the key. Mm -hmm. You can't just start an exercise. You know, you're not going to be able to continue. Yeah. You know, I tried that spandex and do yoga. It just didn't work for me. (laughs) We got to see pictures of that. We'll put them online. Um, okay. So let's move on to medications. And I think this is such a, an important and hot topic because literally you can't turn on the TV and the news, uh, without hearing something about weight loss drugs for people with type two diabetes, people without type one diabetes and people with type one are probably sitting here wondering, can I take these medications? Are these helpful or not for me? And really what we're mostly talking about is this class of medications called GLP-1 receptor agonists. These are meds you've probably heard of, again, on the news, like Ozempic, Monjaro is another one, Trulicity. And we have been using them for diabetes, for type 2 diabetes, for almost 20 years now. But what's changed is that a lot of these drugs now have gotten official indications for people for obesity with or without diabetes. Um, specifically Ozempic is the one that they literally are having shortages of and celebrities are using, et cetera. So when people say, well, I have type one diabetes and I, can I take these to lose weight? What do you say, Steve? Well, I say absolutely. Yes. Now, if you have a BMI over 30 and even the rule goes, if you have BMI over 27, with risk factors, let's say high blood pressure, cardiovascular, like heart risk factors. Yeah. Cardiovascular risk factors. Yeah. yeah. And um, you would be eligible for one of these drugs that have the, that has the official indication for obesity. And we should explain that drugs like Ozempic, the chemical name is semiglutide and Novo Nordis made even higher dose of the same exact drug, 2.4, Ozempic goes up to to two and they call that drug Wegovy. Mm Mm-hmm. And Wegovy is the one that has the official indication for obesity. And so anybody with a high BMI, certainly over 30, um, is eligible to get it. And most doctors don't even know that. They just say, oh, these drugs are approved for type 2. You're not eligible. Now, the other major question is, let's just say the BMI is 28 and you don't have those risk factors. You know, What do you say to those type 1s that uh, want to lose some weight? Well, I would say, first of all, type 1 diabetes is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So I think anything over 27 with type 1, you could try to get it approved um, for obesity. And here's the other thing that these drugs actually do help blood sugars also for type 1. So if you go on something like Wegovy, you will definitely lose weight. 
um, your blood sugars, you'll use less insulin, and your blood sugars will probably improve a little bit, um, which, so that sounds like a pretty good package, but it can be difficult to get these drugs approved through insurance, especially if they kind of understand that you have type 1 diabetes. It can sometimes just get denied for that reason. So you have to be careful that you're using Wegovy specifically for obesity with cardiovascular risk factors. Yeah. Now, the other GLB-1 you didn't mention uh, was a little bit older is Victoza. Yeah. That's a daily. The other ones are weekly. And I have found, Jeremy, that in patients with type 1 who I put on a GLP-1 for glucose control to reduce glycemic variability, a little bit of weight loss... I find that they need lower doses than my patients with type 2 diabetes. So I don't, I'm using the lower doses and I like to titrate very slowly because the main side effect is nausea if you increase the dose too quickly. Mm -hmm. These drugs have been around since 2005. Mm -hmm. They've withstood the test of time for adverse events that pop up after they're approved super safe drug. And it's, it's also a natural hormone. Right. They mimic a natural hormone, I should say. And in terms of the degree of weight loss, I mean, certainly if you get on something like Wegovy, titrated to the max dose, people lose significant amount of weight. This can be 10 to 30%, you know, kind of on average, their, their, their body weight reduction. And it gets to be on par with the amount of weight people lose from like a bariatric surgery. So these medications can be very potent in terms of weight loss. And that's a reason why they're flying off the shelves. Yeah, it is It is too bad because in the same clinic I was at yesterday, I had a patient with type 2 that did fantastic on Trulicity and he couldn't get it because mm. all the GLP-1s were yeah. hard to get and his control went to shit. And finally, we got him some. Yeah. But it's just, you know, I do believe the companies will ramp up their production. But the thing is, we didn't mention yet that these drugs have been shown to protect the heart. Mm -hmm. They reduce heart attacks and strokes, at least in people with type 2 diabetes. Right. And some people feel it's the same mechanism uh, that would be protection protective in type 1s, although those studies aren't, you know, as big or solid uh, in terms of the results. So they have other benefits yeah. than glucose control. So I would say if you're interested, if your BMI is at least over 27, certainly over 30, ask your provider about it. Um, if your endocrinologist is maybe uncomfortable with it, a lot of places will have specific weight loss clinics or specialties um, that you can go and maybe they might be a little bit more comfortable with prescribing it. But a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes should not preclude you from using this for weight loss. Yeah, that, that's so important because many doctors assume it's not going to be approved for type mm -hmm. 1. And I've heard that from people that are very upset trying to get it. Well, what about these SGLT2 inhibitors like Jardiance and Farziga? Yeah. So these are medications that work by making people more or less pee out glucose. And when they do so, they can... Excuse um, me. Shh. <laughs> um, they are peeing out calories. And as a result, people's blood sugars improve and they can lose, they definitely lose some weight. The weight loss with these is, is more modest, but these are, you know, oral pills. Type ones, you know, you maybe lose five, maybe 10 pounds, depending on how much you have to lose. Uh, the problem with these is these are not approved, specifically not approved for people with type one diabetes because they have a higher risk of, of diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, so these are much more difficult, in my experience, to get kind of covered through insurance. Um, there are things that you can do if you go on them, getting ketone mo uh, meters, et cetera, to make them more safe. But it's something right now that we're not really using a lot in type 1s. Um, the other issue that I think that you're going to say, Steve, is that these also have been proven to have benefits in protecting the heart and the kidney. 
So if you're somebody with type 1 diabetes with heart disease or kidney disease, then yes, you absolutely should be on one of these. But again, there might be some like an insurance pushback. So it's a difficult one. Yeah, I, I would say that um, with the SGLT2 inhibitors, it's really congestive heart failure. The GLP-1s is heart attacks and strokes. But the data that's so impressive, both Farziga and now Jardians, uh, it reduces the progression of diabetic kidney disease. And I'll tell you what, I have seen uh, nephrologists, kidney doctors, start prescribing these, these medications like crazy because it really does work. And we never really had anything other than a certain type of blood pressure pill mm -hmm. that reduced the progression of kidney disease. So I think that there's going to be much less less pushback i my kidney doctor prescribed it for me farziga i got it like a snap of the finger because in the long term they're going to save a ton of money by keeping me healthy um and it's the right thing to do so i i'm not you know maybe i'm i'm less of a more of a cowboy than you in terms of prescribing it but i'm well, not that much that worried about the diabetic ketoacidosis uh, i'm a big believer in educating people and i i think that eventually um, this drug will be used more widely. Right. And I think the one thing that we would definitely agree on is that the GLP-1s can specifically be prescribed for weight loss, but I would not prescribe an actually 2 specifically for weight loss. I think it has other benefits that you mentioned that are important, um, but when it comes to somebody saying, hey, I just want to lose some weight, really the GLP-1s would be more appropriate. Totally, totally. So kind of moving on from medications, you know, we'll just spend a few minutes on talking about other things. What about surgery? And, you know, there's all different kinds of surgeries or, or procedures you can do for weight loss. Um, gastric bands, you can do a gastric, what they call a sleeve, where they essentially remove a portion of the stomach. And then what we would call full bypass surgery, where they remove a part of the, the stomach as well as some of the intestines. And as you go in that order from band to sleeve to bypass, you get more weight loss, but these become more complicated surgeries with more side effects. So in general, when somebody is going for a bariatric surgery, we tend to recommend the sleeve more. But again, it's a surgery. So my take would be do as much as you absolutely positively can with diet, exercise, trying these other medications. And if you're still kind of at your wits end with a lot of weight to lose, that's when I would consider surgery. And you can do these surgeries with type 1 diabetes. So again, these are something that could, could be available to you. Yeah. I, I agree with you, Jeremy. You know, the bypass, they rearrange the structure uh, of your stomach, and it's irreversible. Mm -hmm. And um, typically, those are uh, offered to people over, when they're over 100 pounds over their ideal body weight. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they've tried everything in the book, and it, it is causing some serious uh, health risks. Right. Cardiovascular musculoskeletal, just so many things occur when you're heavy. Heartburn, uh, uh, obstructive sleep apnea. So right. being that heavy can cause some serious issues. And I think, you know, it, it sounds appealing to somebody. I go through surgery, I lose all this weight. Trust us, it's not that easy. You know, we've both seen lots of people years afterwards still with complications from the surgery. So it's, it's not just a, a quick fix by any means. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's a lot of folks that regain the weight mm -hmm. back after going through all of that. Right. And, you know, I, I have a patient who had to bypass, lost 100 pounds, gained a bunch of it back. But when she lost 100 pounds, she had to go to a plastic surgeon because she had this loose skin. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, you know, she had to pay out of pocket for that. Uh, that wasn't as a dangerous surgery, but then she gained it all back. Right. Because if you're not uh, attacking the basic cause of why that person got so heavy, 
you're not really fixing anything. You're just putting a Band-Aid on it. And in some people, they do keep it off. But yeah. it's, um, it's a step that I would use last. And I think because of these GLP-1 drugs, uh, we're going to those uh, options a little later. Mm-hmm. So, so let's kind of round this out by talking finally about something, just maybe something cosmetic people want to do. Um, that these bypasses and stuff are for kind of massive weight loss. What if somebody says, you know, I'm otherwise kind of healthy fit, but I got this little, you know, gut that I want to lose. Um, can I do some of these cosmetic surgeries like liposuction? There's things called cool sculpting, et cetera. What's, what's that? <laughs> so cool sculpting is something where basically you go to a, a dermatologist usually or a, a, a cosmetic place and they kind of suck up some of the fat into one of like a for lack of a better word, a little vacuum cleaner. A suction cup, Suction right? cup, yeah. And then it, it, it cools the skin significantly, so it actually freezes and kills some of the, the fat cells. And they say that you lose about 20% of the fat in the area that you're, you're sucking up. So a lot of people will just do kind of like their stomach area, sometimes under their arms, et cetera. So that's something else that's available to people that's completely out of pocket, and that's going to cost you, you know, four or five grand, something like that. But then it does, when you say suck it up, it sounds like it's... Sounds like liposuction where you're actually so no, pull it's out just the fat. it's more just kind of like you know getting access to the fat. So it's 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 there's no cutting, there's no needles or anything like that. It's just like I said, it's like a little vacuum cleaner. It sucks up an area of fat, freezes it, and then you can do a different area. If yeah, you, you know the a lot of people would say, oh, those folks are just vain. They care about how they look, but you know what? I I think any procedure for females or males that make them feel good about themselves, why absolutely. Not, why not? And then liposuction is much more invasive, uh, much messier, uh, a long recovery time that is, you know, with, with, with incisions and things like that. Also available but with these more cosmetic procedures, people definitely can kind of gain the weight back. So if you do something like that, it's always best to, to pair it with something else. You're changing your diet, exercise, maybe these medications, et cetera. And these cool scoping things, uh, as I understand it, you just go in for like an hour. Yeah. At lunchtime. I mean, while we've been doing this podcast, I've been hooked up to this machine. <laughs> so I'm hoping by the time we're done, I'll be all frozen and looking good. Um, so I think, you know, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up and say that, again, um, people out there with type 1, um, it's, it's a common problem. Thanks for listening. Um, you're not alone in this, this struggle. It takes um, time. It takes dedication. Um, mark down kind of where you're at, where you want to be, and and try some of these different approaches for, for, for weight loss. We hope it's been helpful. Yeah, yeah. We we know what you're going through. And just to mention on our website, we do have a couple lectures by some really good dietitians, but also a, a nutrition, a nutritionally oriented endo, mm-hmm. Dr. Ginny Luna. And that was one of our first podcasts actually over a year ago. Yeah, said, might have been our second. Yeah. Our podcast with Ginny Luna talking about her experiences in a weight loss specific clinic, uh, which is for all comers, but certainly for people with type one also. That's a really good podcast. Uh, she she's an endocrinologist, but with a super interest in in obesity, and she works at Scripps Hospital right here in San Diego in their weight loss clinic. So, yeah. So, like we said, it's been a year in. Continue to to listen, like us, share us, donate, all those good things. Uh, we enjoy doing it, and hope you guys enjoy listening. So, have a good day, and we'll see you at the next one. We're going out for double cheeseburgers now. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye.